Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 184, How to Be a Good Safety Pilot, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. We have a really interesting conversation today, and that's about being a good safety pilot. But before we begin that, let's do the pre-flight. I want to do a couple things up front here in our pre-flight checklist. Number one, our sponsor, AviationCareersPodcast.com. There's many courses out there. You can click on the Courses tabs. And you can have – there's lots of tools out there to help you move forward in your aviation career. Resumes, cover letters, scholarships, and career coaching. Just visit aviationcareerspodcast.com and click on the Courses tab there. Also, a couple of announcements today. I have one, news and announcements. One of the things that's really cool is uh, – and joining us today actually is people from all over the country, and I know they're excited about this. I'm having with me a student pilot just moved in with me. I have my nephew – that has decided to go to Polk State College. As many of you know, I help coach the team there, and uh, he is going to be going to the aerospace program here. One of the really cool things about the aerospace program is that it's very affordable, and just recently, the Polk State College aerospace program, it was ranked number two in the country for in the best value schools rankings for online aerospace programs. And it is incredibly inexpensive. Uh, lots of value there. Uh, for as little as like $7,800 a year, you can work towards a bachelor's in aerospace sciences. And, of course, Eric Crump is the director of that program, and he has been doing a wonderful job. He started this with only seven people. I think they're up to about 340 students. Uh, have our own building now. And uh, been attracting people from all over the country and now all over the world. We have a whole group from Brazil starting uh, at the school. So it's a very exciting time for the college and people are starting to recognize uh, how affordable it is and also the fact that they're getting a great education. So hats off to Eric Crump for doing that and sticking with the program. I know he had a lot of challenges. He would have liked to be on tonight to talk about it, but unfortunately he got sick. He got pneumonia. But uh, anyway, he, he'll be on the show eventually. He's been so busy with growing this program, and it's really morphed into something that is awesome. It's not just pilots. It's also obviously people getting into management and drones and many different avenues, such as mechanics and who knows, a dispatcher license might be coming around the corner. Anyway, that's the announcements for this evening. And uh, I also want to welcome to the podcast everybody from uh, Tom Frick in Florida, Larry Overstreet in Wisconsin, Rick Felty is in Massachusetts, and Russ Rosleski is in o Oklahoma. I hope I got all that correct. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. Hey, <laughs> hey everyone. And it's it's so awesome to hear from you guys because the last show we did was interviews from 
Oshkosh or Air Venture 2018, and I had a, a you know an important thing personally come up. I couldn't get there. It was a bit of a challenge, but I followed you guys. Awesome pictures, great job, cool interviews, and uh, it did look like an exciting time. There is a curse in my life about getting there. I will eventually be there. I know it. I'm no longer going to promise I'm going to be there. I'm going to try as hard as I can next year to get there. And I think uh, all the things that I had going on in life will be straightened by then, and I will be able to get out there. So uh, thanks for doing that, guys. It was awesome. You were you missed. Know, yeah, well, thanks. Thanks. I mean, I was following you guys and just seeing what you were doing online. I was like, gosh, this looks so cool. And I'm just, you know, I was working so hard. And I was like looking at it. I was like, gosh, I'd rather be there than, than doing what I'm doing right now. I'd rather be around airplanes. That was That was for sure. So a lot of cool things going on in aviation. Um, I've gotten very much involved back in the training environment, which has just been just so much fun. There is, you know what, it is so exciting, you know, learning how to fly and uh, helping people learn how to fly and move forward, not just in their careers, but in many other aspects of aviation and seeing airplanes take off and land. I was watching them today. It's just just such an exciting thing to do is be into aviation because of the fact that everybody's so passionate about it and there's just something cool about watching an airplane fly and also being in an airplane flying now entering cruise flight but today we have a really cool topic and this actually is a listener mail that was sent uh, directly to russ rosleski and uh, really really good information so i'm hoping that you know this will help you in determining a few things because there's been a lot of online discussion. So, Russ, uh, tell us a little bit about that email that you received, and we'll start the discussion. Yeah, you bet, Carl. So this was a listener mail, as you mentioned, uh, from a friend of mine, Mike Farlow from Denton, Texas, who's also known as Aggie Mike 88 on many of the aviation forums. Uh, if you're on any of those, you might recognize that, uh, that handle there. And uh, we were having a... A very long and involved uh, online discussion about safety pilot. And the focus on that discussion was primarily around what makes a good safety pilot? What are a safety pilot's responsibilities? What should they be doing? What should you look for when you're asking someone to be your safety pilot? And we'll kind of talk about some of those things. We'll set up some of the rules and stuff too. But the range of opinions in in this online discussion was was interesting because we had we had some people who basically wanted the safety pilot to sit there and look for airplanes, and that was it, all the way to we had some people that wanted the safety pilot to give advice and help them out and you know maybe show them something, you know if they were a more experienced pilot and that kind of thing. All, the whole range in between. Um, of course, the important thing, which we'll talk about later, is making sure that everybody understands what the responsibilities are there and you have a discussion beforehand. But before we get into that, we should talk a little bit about um, – what is a safety pilot? Why do you need one? And how can you be one? I think. And, uh, of course, most instrument rated pilots, I think know that if you want to fly, uh, in simulated IFR, meaning wearing the IFR hood, you know, the foggles, the, uh, you know, the, the funny glasses that they wear up there for training. If you want to do that, you have to have another pilot in the, the seat next to you, uh, to at a minimum look out for other airplanes that you know you can't see because you're wearing this view limiting device is the official term I think. Um, so this person, this safety pilot, is there you know to serve as, as at least your eyes, um, possibly more, but at least that function. And so in order to get currency uh, or proficiency and to get practice, uh, you either have to have that flight instructor along or this safety pilot. Okay. 
But the safety pilot can't just be anybody, you know, off the street. Uh, they do have some some requirements to meet, and uh, these requirements are all spelled out in, in the FARS in uh, ninety one point one oh nine. And one of the uh, main requirements is they do have to be at least a private pilot. Um, unfortunately, that does rule out sport pilots and uh, the, you know the few recreational pilots that are out there or any any other type of pilot. So they have to be at least a private pilot in order to sit there in the right seat and help you out. Um, they have to hold category and class ratings for the aircraft flown, uh, meaning if you're flying in a 172, they have to have airplane single engine land. If you're f- doing it in a Baron, a twin engine airplane, they have to be airplane multi-engine land, etc. They have to hold those category and class ratings for whatever aircraft you're going to be in. Also, since you're under the hood, the safety pilot is a required flight crew member. Uh, they're required to be there. So as a result, the safety pilot has to have a current medical certificate. Now, the question comes up, what about basic med? We'll talk to that uh, later in the episode because there are some uh, some unusual limitations on that. But um, but they have to have a current medical certificate to be the uh, the safety pilot. And... And the one remaining requirement is they have to occupy the other control seat. They can't sit in the back <laughs> and, and be your safety pilot. They have to be able to uh, have controls in, in front of them. So uh, this means, of course, when you when you think of all these things together, you know, your buddy who owns that multi-engine airplane asks you if you can be a safety pilot. You have to check the back of your certificate and see if you got multi-engine land on there, or otherwise you can't be a safety pilot in that airplane at all. Um, that's the main thing there on category and class. That's kind. Of, that's really interesting. That was a great summary, by the way. Um, and really, one of the things, and we'll talk about basic med later. Uh, one of the things you have to do is make sure you're you're legal. And we do have a link, by the way, to that. And also a really good article uh, from the AOPA concerning uh, being a safety pilot. But you know, one of the things that was interesting in his questions, I was reading them that you sent to me. He says, you know, what a, what can the average schmo private pilot not be, or when can they not be a, a safety pilot? And you talked about that category and class. Uh, I love how he phrased that: the average schmo private pilots. And uh, you know, you're a private pilot. I mean, you there's uh, the average pilot. Pilot can tend to do many things and. Uh, Interestingly enough, and this is something I always tell people, just because you're not a flight instructor doesn't mean you can't impart knowledge because there's a lot of very uh, experienced, average, quote-unquote, private pilots that have flown into certain situations that the other average private pilot hasn't, and you can actually relay that information. So don't ever think you're just the average remote private pilot is the point I was trying to make there. Um, But uh, one of the things as far as being a safety pilot, uh, Russ, and that was was awesome, the description – is really not only what we need to do to be legal, but also, you know, what we need to do to have a successful flight. And a successful flight would include having a safe flight. Uh, so uh, there's a couple things I think that are important. And then I'll, I'd like to hear from some of the other folks. And one of the things that uh, obviously at work, we do a safety briefing anytime we get together. And we say, this is the first time we've flown together. So let's discuss, you know, what we should expect. Um, you know, we're two diff- we're two pilots and we need to go over Who's going to act as pilot in command and actually fly the plane in case of an emergency? And what I'm here to do today and what is our mission 
or what are we trying to achieve? And uh, and go over certain things like be be upfront beforehand and say, hey, listen, uh, I do something a little different than most, and this is what it is. And whatever quirks you might have, uh, maybe you knock your head two times, and that means to put the gear down. I don't know, uh, but those are the those are the things that you have to get straight. Uh, and, and believe me, there's some kooky things that go on in the cockpit there. But those are the type of things you want to start with is just the general briefing and uh, always, always, you know, realize that you know you're. Leaving, there's two people in the cockpit now. We're talking a lot about uh, cockpit resource management, almost like crew resource management. And you know, we're leaving the egos at the door. You know, if there's a discrepancy, let's just move forward from that. If it's safety related, we always, always should go with the most, the safest option between the two of us if we're discussing something. Uh, but there's more to being uh, a you know a good safety pilot than just that. And part of it. I feel too, and then I'll let some of the other folks chime in. I like to try to tell people when when being a good safety pilot, kind of think about your your flight instructor also and what the flight instructors you thought were good flight instructors and maybe try to emulate them. You're not you're not really you're not so much instructing, but you also need to sometimes say, hey, listen, you know, you're a little bit off here. Did you know that? Um, and those type of things. And those are the things that you have to really get out up front. What are you expecting from me as a safety pilot? Do you want me to point out every little thing? Do you want me to point out nothing? And as a good instructor, when you see somebody struggling, you don't nitpick. You know, you start with, okay, let's let's start here with this one thing and try to do this right, and then we'll go from there and uh, and just be patient. And uh, that's really really important. So patience, patience patience. So that's that's kind of the things that I have there as far as, you know, what I like to see from a safety pilot, that discussion in advanced. I think about the good instructors I had and also figure out what our goals are when we when we do go to become a safety pilot and have this mission and this uh this maybe the flight is to do a, a an approach to uh to a landing, to a go round or whatever, uh and then we'll do some holding, et cetera. It's so good to get that out. Up front. So anyway, I was thinking uh, maybe Russ, you can also start us off there. You know what you consider uh, some of the things to having a successful flight and a safe flight. Well, I, I agree with you, Carl. And the most important thing is the discussion beforehand. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it does. It's an interpersonal relationship kind of thing, right? Um, usually, I would say you're, the person you're going with as a safety pilot isn't somebody who's totally unknown to you. You know, it's a not. Although that can happen, you know, people post on. Mm-hmm. Facebook, whatever. Hey, I'm looking for a you know safety pilot. Anybody want to go? You know that so that happens. Um, but I think more often than not, is probably a friend of yours, someone you've known for a while. Uh, so you have an idea of what their capabilities are, their skill levels. Uh, what you really want to watch out for, though, is yes. Well, let me back up a minute. Yes, you want them to look out for other airplanes. You want them to look out for uh, possible hazards. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, obviously, uh, you know, midair type stuff. Or uh, you know, antenna tower on final or something like that. If you're maybe a little off course, of course you want that stuff. Um, but what do you, you know, what more do you want? If you are a proficient IFR pilot, and you know, maybe you don't, maybe you want that person to, uh, you know, give you a hard time. You know, hey, you're, you know, you're one dot off course. What's going on? <laughs> you know, or something like that. <laughs> or alternately, maybe you want them to let you go and see if you catch it. Uh, these, those are the type of things that need to be discussed. Some other things you might want to consider would be, uh, you know, if the, 
uh, safety pilot feels that they need to take the, the controls for some reason. Um, either you're, you've entered an unusual attitude or there's a possible collision or some other safety hazard. Uh, if the safety pilot thinks they need to take the controls, how are you going to handle that? Um, you know, how as a pilot are you going to handle the person taking controls away from you and how, how are you going to deal with that after the fact? Uh, you know, mentally, what do you think about what, what's your, what's your opinion of yourself? And then if they take the controls, so, uh, you need to have a little discussion about that. It may be, Hey man, if you see anything that's going wrong and you need to take the controls, go ahead. It could be anywhere from that to, uh, please don't touch the controls unless I ask you to, or you're really afraid we're going to die. Uh, but you need to have that discussion. Uh, how about someone else? Uh, Tom, what do you think? Um, yeah, I agree with everything so far. And, and, you know, some of the other things that, um, you know, it, it, it's, you're right. It's sometimes hard to draw the line. Um, being a CFII, you know, I'm training people how to do instrument stuff and then to revert to a mode of, of just being a safety pilot, which I have done. Um, it's like putting a different hat on, but having that, uh, pre-flight discussion is ultimately the most important. What are we going to do today? What kind of approaches are we going to fly? How are we going to fly them? Are we going to fly any holding patterns? Are we going to do any DME arcs? Are we going to do an RNAV, an ILS? Are we going to, you know, uh, we're going to fly a PAR or something, you know, odd like that. Those all need to be discussed beforehand, exactly the order that those are going to go in. And then who is going to hold the controls and when? What do we do in emergency situations? Before he's under the hood, when he's under the hood, when he gets out from under the hood. Um, and, and the last thing that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw in there as well is who's going to handle the communications. You know, when I do this, uh, with safety pilots, I have that discussion that, um, anything to do with traffic coming, I'm going to handle the comms. So, you know, if, uh, you know, approach calls out the traffic at some place, I'm going to either tell them that I'm looking or that I've got it in sight because the person that's flying is usually under the hood and isn't looking at traffic. So we have that discussion beforehand that, I, that I'll handle the communications with anything to do with traffic. Otherwise, they've got it unless they ask me to do otherwise. And then you uh, you already expressed it already, and I'll just reiterate it again, is that um, ultimately that positive exchange of flight controls. If, if you have to take it, I have the controls. You have the controls, my airplane. And, and making sure that that is understood between both pilots so we're never in doubt on who's controlling that aircraft. Well, you know, you, you mentioned something that, that, I, that I meant to, but I forgot, so thank you. <laughs> it was a, the, definitely the difference between a safety pilot and an instructor. I mean, an instructor is qualified, trained, and experienced sitting there watching everything that's going on. Safety pilot may or may not be uh, as, as experienced and trained. Um, they, you know, they may or may not be a proficient IFR pilot. Remember, you just had to be a private pilot. So that safety pilot sitting next to you may not really know anything about instrument flying. So there's, so that needs to be part of the discussion. How much do you know? And, uh, and if you are expecting that safety pilot to basically provide you training, that's probably cross the line where you really just need to go up with an instructor at that point. Yeah, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and tell you what, I've I've had a safety pilot. Um, I've done it before with just a private pilot. It was a student of mine who um wanted to get some experience, and and uh, I briefed him. I was I was fine that he could handle the airplane, but it's definitely different when you're flying with somebody who may or may not understand the intricacies of the um um the instrument world, you know, of, of IFR flying. And it was. Wasn't a completely new experience to him, but it was fairly new to him. He didn't. Um, he definitely didn't have the rating yet, and it was a different flight than, say, flying with a another instructor or a, a proficient safety pilot. Interestingly, I was just thinking about this too. We're all flight instructor here, by the way, talking, and I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit from our private pilots. But one of the things when I was a private pilot that 
Um, and it's kind of a, a horror story, I thought. And it was embarrassing is the fact that not only uh, – and this comes to that discussion, I think, before the flight. Not only did I uh, have a really bad scenario, I never flew with this guy again. And we became buddies and everything. We we're talking. I met the guy on a train talking about uh, on a commute to New York City. Let's go fly. And we went flying. And one of the things in that discussion, and I'm glad both of you said this, is you really have to figure out what your roles are as a safety pilot. But the other thing I didn't realize when I was a safety pilot during this flight is, well, what are our roles afterwards? In other words, leading up to the point where this person's going to do the instrument training and then do the approaches, and he's done with not training, but instrument practice approaches. And once he's done, now what do we do? You know, we agreed, okay, um, I'll fly a portion of this and you'll fly the other portion. But we we kind of didn't communicate well and we didn't know who was flying and who wasn't flying. And we're in New York airspace and I'm like, hey, you know, we're getting pretty close to the class. Bravo. I think we need to turn here. He's like, oh, no, no, we're fine. I said, no, no, we're getting, we need to turn. So we got into this big argument. It was like the first, it was like one of the worst flights I've ever had. I mean, it was just total communication breakdown. Everything was great doing the approach, but it was all the other stuff. It was getting up to the approach. I knew the first thing was going to be approach. So I was like, okay, you take off and all that. Now, who does the landing and all this stuff? And it was like, oh, my gosh. And and the person got really argumentative. I was like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. I said, let's uh, maybe we should have planned this better. Why don't we get on the ground and talk this over? And that point, he's like, no, I don't want to land. I want to keep going. And And it really was a horror story. So I think through that experience, you also have to realize, you know, what you're doing during the entire flight, not just during the portion where you're acting as the safety pilot. And that's kind of my little uh, <laughs> my little horror story, my worst uh, situation as a safety pilot. But in general, when you're sharing a flight in general, you should figure out what you're going to do. Uh, during that flight and what your roles are. The person, say, owns an airplane and says, all I want you to do is, uh, during these three approaches, if you could, just uh, when I put the foggles on, then you're the safety pilot. Otherwise, I will do everything else. And that's a good briefing, um, but we obviously did a really, really poor briefing uh, prior to that. I don't know if anybody else has any good horror stories. Like, Larry, I don't, Larry, have you you done uh, safety pilot work? As yeah, a- yeah I've, I've been a safety pilot, and I've, I've certainly uh, relied on safety pilots uh, before. Um, you know, I think, uh, like like what has been said, the you know time you spend on the ground ahead of time talking about what we're going to do, what we're not going to do, who's going to do what, um, all of that's critical. The other thing that I would bring out is I've, I've you know, heard some people who um, want a safety pilot to only look out for airplanes. You know, just look out for airplanes, you know, whatever. And maybe if all you have is a um, private pilot that doesn't have any instrument experience, that may be all you can realistically, you know, um, uh, hope for them to be able to do. And so for me, if I have a safety pilot, I really want somebody who's instrument rated, even though it's not required, um, because I think they can, they can help me be safer. Um, I, you know, I've, I've heard of pilots, I'll just put it that way, who have um, misheard the altimeter setting and dialed it in one inch off you know, and all of a sudden you're a thousand feet apart uh, off of, of your assigned altitude, or putting in the wrong identifier into a um, uh, a GPS system, PTK versus KPTK, for example. One takes you to Pontiac, Michigan. One takes you to North Korea. Um, uh, famous story for those who get the reference. Um, it, you know, and so I guess I would also 
hope that a safety pilot, in addition to looking for traffic, um, you know, I would want to have them looking for any blatant errors that could bring the uh, safety of the flight into question, you know, being at the wrong altitude, for example, um, or being way off on an approach, you know, coming in way too high, way too far down the runway, you know, whatever mistake I'm making under the hood, sometimes it's time to say, hey, let's bail on this one and, you know, do the mist and and pull the hood off. Um, and so, you know, I guess it would be, it's useful to realize that there are a lot of things that can contribute to safety or the lack of safety besides just not hitting another airplane. Right. Right. And that's the goal, right? We control the plane and don't hit anything. Um, well, and and don't bust, don't bust the Bravo, right? Like you were saying, and mm -hmm. don't, don't do anything stupid. Um, uh, you know, and we're all capable of doing that stupid thing. You know, on that one day, you just get a little bit behind the airplane or something like that. Um, it's certainly easy enough for any of us to do. But if we have another pilot on board who is, you know, capable and competent, uh, and hopefully, you know, in my case, for me anyway, hopefully IFR rated and um, able to understand what's going on and understand what I'm trying to do in an approach, um, they, you know, hopefully will have some sense of how, uh, how far to let me go before, you know, calling it and saying, Hey, you know, you might, you might want to look outside on this one. Right. You know, another thing you just reminded me of a lot of folks, uh, have some older airplanes and I know I was involved in the situation when I started out, uh, as a, uh, someone asking me to go fly. And I'm kind of curious what other people have done in this situation and what the actual regs say, you know, some of the older airplanes have some of those, you know, those, those throwover yokes and, uh, you know, there's not dual controls, uh, sometimes, and I'm sure some questions must come up about this, you know, what do we do in that case? Uh, if we just have uh, one set of controls and there's not another set of controls. So maybe one of our instructors could answer Like, Tom, what do you, what do you think in that situation? Um, I believe you got to have two sets of controls. If you have one set of controls, it's got to be a throwover. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, I think that's, is it not uh, 61 or 91, 109? Mm, yep, ninety-one, one hundred nine. Yeah, and... it is. It is in there. Yeah, it has. It you yeah, you can't use it uh, with a single throwover. Uh, no, no. Here, here we go. A single yoke aircraft may not be used unless the single engine airplane is equipped with a single throwover control wheel. Huh? The right. uh, safety pilot determines the flight can be conducted safely. Right. That's and uh, and that's yeah. essentially an older Bonanza or maybe Dick exactly. or something like that. Yep. Okay. Exactly. It was a, yes. It was a Bonanza. So. So, yes, so you can actually do it. So it's just that uh, you have to determine whether it can be done safely and it has to be uh, a single, you know, a throwover control wheel, I guess is the best way to say that, right? Um, and that's one of the things you have to do. And the, the person that's manipulating the controls has to be obviously at least a private pilot with a category and class in that aircraft, which we already determined. It's kind of redundant, I think. But it's uh, it that's one of the things that, that I, I, you know, you come up with that question quite a bit. It's like, uh, yeah, you usually need dual controls, but in this case, you can actually you can actually do it under under 109. So, kind of a cool thing, a uh, little side side note there. So, um, but the uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of other kind of interesting uh, things that go along with being a safety pilot, and it really is important uh, to realize that uh, we talked about communications beforehand. And one of the things that I think we are remiss to do as a safety pilot is the conversation 
after the flight. Um, and I think that's really something that we need to talk about a little bit because, uh, again, I go back to, you know, what what was my instructor doing and, and um, what kind of feedback really does the person want uh, me to do as a safety pilot? Hey, you know, I saw this, I saw that. Um, I play a little game. Um, I just, just a suggestion. You don't have to do this. But I, I have a fun little game. And what we do is uh, we put, you know, on a sheet one through ten. And I'll, you know, we start a timer and I'll tell the person, be as picky as you can and you get right down ten items. And let's see how how long we can go with uh, me being able to fly without getting to ten items that I mess up. So little things like being, you know, you were 100 feet off your altitude, you uh, were two dots to the right, uh, you didn't make the proper call, you uh, you made the call, but you did it improperly, or you, you didn't use the right uh, tail number, you set your altimeter incorrectly, and <clears throat> that can be a lot of fun. Uh, in, in some cases, you can go a good 15 minutes, some cases you can go the entire flight without having 10 items and that's and then so what i'll do is i'll ask them okay when we get to 10 items call out 10 items reached and write down the amount of time and that was that's our little game and uh and sometimes you don't get to 10 items which is cool uh, but i think it, it's something just fun to do i don't know does it, anybody else have something like that that they do i was just kind of curious am i the only weird one here well, yes, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> I whoa, did I walk right into that one? Jeez, <laughs> how embarrassing! Yes. So, what other things do you do, Russ? <laughs> no, that actually sounds like a pretty fun game. I, you know, I might, I might start doing something like that. I like that idea. <laughs> but um, no, but they, I mean, you can do things like that. I think that's that's quite important. That's for sure. Um, the um, so, what else do we have on on the questions uh, from this? I don't. Want, I want to make well, sure we get through all this. Oh, I'm sorry. I want- I wanted to add, because like you were saying about being remiss about um, talking about the flight after the flight, um, you know, being a flight instructor, I make sure that I, every one of my students, that we have a conversation before we get in the plane, that we get out of it, when we get out of the plane, and we talk about it. And normally, I ask all of my students the same three, the, the same three questions I want them to ask, answer after the flight. What went good today? What went not so good today? And what are we going to work on next time? And I want them to evaluate themselves and see how close they are to the evaluation I'm about to give them as well. And and we go through that. And then we go through the steps of, of me evaluating how their flight went for the day. And then I usually ended up with, okay, I got to spend time hammering you and, and evaluating you today. Now I want you to evaluate me. What can I do better? How can I explain things better? How can I go through? But that gives us a, a rapport to be able to do that both before and after the flight. So um, yeah, being a safety pilot, now you're maybe just a private pilot or, or just somebody who's not used to following that certain structure every day. Um, I can add into that, that it's very, very important for having a, um, a brief before a flight and a brief after the flight. It, it carries so much value for anybody that's at the controls of an airplane. That's a great point. You know, and one of the things I like to do is have the three main things I need to work on. Uh, cause those, if I have a list of 20 things, it's just not going to sink in. So I, I usually ask somebody, hey, what are the th- three main things you can see I'm doing doing wrong or, or that I can improve? Not so much wrong, but what can I improve? What are the top three things? And they'll say, okay, you need to do this, this, and this. And uh, and then the other 25,000 things, you know, you should probably look at later. But the top three are this. Uh, and what's really cool about aviation, by the way, is there's always three things. You know, there's something you could always do better. Having a perfect flight is incredibly difficult. 
I think in uh, past 20 years, I don't think I've had one perfect simulator ride, except maybe one I did. And the instructor said that was just perfect. I don't have any comments. Let's go. Uh, but that's very, 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 very rare. You can always learn something. That's that's for sure. Um, but uh, anyway, good good uh, addition there. Thanks. But Russ, what uh, I'm trying to figure out, what were the other questions? So we make sure we get all his questions answered. Well, I think the next topic we need to go into is how does safety pilot time get entered into the safety pilot's logbook and does it get entered and under what conditions? And that is a big issue. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's huge because I mean, as the person who is, you know, as the pilot who needs the safety pilot, why am I having that safety pilot? Well, because I need instrument currency, right? Generally that's the reason, but why is that safety pilot doing it? Well, one of the most common reasons is because that safety pilot can log the time. So, you know, everybody wants to build time, man, especially now everybody's you know hurrying to get the time so they can get the jobs. Right. So, but it's always been this way that, you know, a lot of people will, you know, they'll go fly to lunch and one will be safety pilot for the other and vice versa. So that, you know, they either cut the cost in half or, you know, log more time, that kind of thing. Um, and you can do that. Uh, but there are some very, uh, certain particulars here that, that need to be followed. Okay. Because what we're really talking about here is, is logging piloting command time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, there's a very basic, uh, misunderstanding that a lot of pilots have. And that's, there's a difference between acting as PIC and logging PIC time. And I mean, you can search acting versus logging PIC on Google and you'll find a million discussions about this, but it's still not that well understood. In order to act as piloting command, you need to meet a bunch of requirements that are all everywhere through the, uh, through the FARs, right? I mean, you know, endorsements and currency and all this stuff. Um, but that's to act as PSE, to be the piloting command. However, to log piloting command time really is a much lower standard. And everything about logging PIC is in 61.51. And all that requires is that you're at the controls of an aircraft for which you are rated rated meaning what's on your pilot certificate category and class nothing about endorsements uh currency nothing like that so this this is where things get a little bit complicated because we said that you can be a safety pilot right yes you can be a safety pilot with just category and class ratings have a current medical and be at least a private pilot we already talked about that but in order to act as pic you have to um, let me back up just one minute. If you want to log PIC by being a safety pilot, you have to be acting as the PIC. In order to act as the PIC, you don't not only have to have category and class ratings, you have to have the appropriate endorsements, high performance, uh, tailwheel, uh, high altitude, you know, complex, etc. You have to be current in all regards, you know, landings and such, uh, flight review, whatever. And you have to meet these requirements in order to act as the pilot in command. Um, now, when you are serving as a safety pilot, if you agree to act as the pilot in command, you are a required crew member. You can log the time as PIC. That's that's what uh, that what that's what gets people sometimes. Okay, but in order to act as PIC, of course, you really have to have this conversation ahead of time because if you're acting as PIC of this airplane, that means. If you have a airspace, uh, you know, violation, you're the PIC, <laughs> you know, right. if there's some mishap, you're the PIC sitting there in the right seat as a safety pilot. So it isn't quite as 
as easy as just, you know, jumping in the airplane and going. You need to really think about this. <laughs> you know, is the person that you're being a safety pilot for, are they reasonably competent? You know, or, <laughs> or are they going to get you in trouble? Um, if you don't meet the, uh, all the currency requirements, the endorsements, you know, high performance complex, et cetera, th- those things, then you can still be the safety pilot, but you can't act as pilot in command, which means you can't log pilot in command time. You can, however, log second in command time if you wish. Okay. Now second in a command time in a Cessna 172, you know, <laughs> it, it's total time. So I guess that helps, but it, it's certainly, you know, SAC in a 172 is, is, you know, maybe not that as impressive as some, some other categories, but, but it is a way to accumulate that time at, as, uh, without meeting the currency and, uh, endorsement requirements. Remember to be a safety pilot, as we talked about before, you only have to have a category and class rating. So you can be a safety pilot when all you've flown is Cessna 172s, you can be a safety pilot in, in your friend's Bonanza. 300 horsepower tractable gear Bonanza. You can be a safety pilot. You can't act as pilot in command. You cannot therefore log pilot in command time, but you could log second in command time if you wished. Okay. The other so that, side of that. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, so, so that would go towards what we were talking about, being able to complete this flight safely. That was part of that conversation. I mean, if you're flying with someone who hasn't flown that thing in so long, maybe, maybe they should go up with an instructor instead of you, right? I mean, that would probably be a suggestion yeah, if they haven't yeah, flown a sure. complex. Thing. Yeah, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, you bet. Um, now, what can the – so now we get in their scenario. So now I'm the pilot flying, right? And I've got the safety pilot over. We said, yeah, you can act as pilot in command. That way you can log the, the time as pilot in command when you're safety pilot when I have the hood on. What can I as the pilot log? Well, this is what gets people because it doesn't seem like I should be able to log pilot in command time if we're both doing it, right? Well, you can because the requirement for logging pilot in command time is in 61.51 again. And all it needs is that you are the sole manipulator of the controls of the airplane for which you're rated. If you're the one flying the airplane, you can log it as pilot in command. So that's where we get the two people logging the pilot in command time. Understand, of course, it has to be done properly. And the person in the safety pilot seat has to be able to act as pilot in command if you want both to log pilot in command. Is that confusing enough? Actually, it, no. I, I, that was good, actually. That's a great explanation. <clears throat> is this why most people uh, that want to build time, they become flight instructors? <laughs> well, that, that does certainly help. But, you know, I, you know, honestly, you know, there's, you know, all kinds of people all day long that, you know, just two buddies jump in the airplane. They both put them down to pilot command time in their logbook. And, you know, with no thought to any of this, you know, acting versus logging kind of thing. But like I said, if, if something does happen, that could pose a, a pretty significant problem. So therefore, you shouldn't have three people in the cockpit uh, in the airplane logging pilot command. Well, that, <laughs> that that's that's something that we've heard about happening at some of the larger uh, flight schools, certainly. But. I, I think that's beyond the scope of this discussion, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, and and it's, I bring that up because this this would be a you know we're not going to go that down that hole as far as logging time, et cetera. By the way, you can log whatever you want in a logbook. I think we've talked about this. Uh, you know how many hours you have. Uh, you know with the, the the dog can log. You know time in the aircraft is whatever you want to do. But uh, it's you can put in there how many times you brought whomever up, et cetera. It's uh, but as far as 
the requirements in for using it for a rating, et cetera, uh, that's where it becomes very important and also for currency. So they have to be careful there. Um, but uh, anyway, so the logging time is something that uh, we should have just a whole episode on just logging time because uh, and it also, of course, will be uh, pretty controversial and it keeps coming back uh, and rearing its head every, every so often. Um, you know, Russ, one of the things um, – you pointed out as far as logging, you know, what, when can you be a safety pilot in the log building? And that was a really good discussion there. Um, I'm trying to determine, you know, how about other pilots? Uh, we talked about the, the, uh, we, did we talk about sport pilot, but how about, uh, with this new, uh, what do you call it? The new basic med I'm trying to say, how about that? I and mean, what, what's the situation there? All right. Basic med. Yeah. <laughs> the, Is this, that if, opening if you were confused enough by the last couple minutes, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, this might do it. So, um, basic med's a weird thing, okay? Because the way the law was written, uh, and the law was written by Congress, basically, and and the FAA, uh, you know, to save having to send it out for public review and comment and such, they basically implemented exactly the way the uh, the, the Congress wrote it, which was that basic med under basic med you're allowed to act as pilot in command. Okay, that's very important, and we just talked about acting versus logging, right? So under basic med, you it, that only applies if you're acting as pilot in command. All right. In order to act as pilot in command as a safety pilot, you have to meet all the currency requirements and endorsements and such that we talked about a few minutes ago. Okay. So if you um, if you are operating under basic med and you are able to act as a pilot in command as a safety pilot, meeting all the currency requirements, et cetera, and you agree to take responsibility for the flight then you're okay. If you're operating under basic med and you don't meet the currency requirements or you don't meet the endorsement requirements, you can't act as pilot in command. Therefore, you can't serve as a safety pilot because a safety pilot is a required crew member and basic med only applies to acting as pilot in command, not to other crew members. This seems really convoluted and kind of circular a bit. Uh, There is a great short article on the AOP website. We'll have linked. Um, that kind of spells this out because it is confusing. How about an example? Like if uh, you're operating under basic med and you've only flown a 172, now can you go in your friend's Bonanza and be in safety pilot? How about that? No. Okay. <laughs> um, and and no, that's you because... And because... because you don't meet the currency requirements and endorsement requirements to act as pilot in command. Therefore, you are merely another required crew member and basic med does not apply to other crew members. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how about other issues? Uh, we talked about, and, and that's actually a pretty good explanation on the, on the basic med. I like that. And we're going to have a, definitely have a link to the article there. Um, how about other things uh, with your safety pilot friend, uh, say you're acting as safety pilot and you say, okay, <clears throat> when you're safety pilot, uh, you can share the expenses only during the time you're doing safety pilot or whatever, you know, depending on whatever agreement you have. So how about that? How about, um, sharing the time and the money for the flight? How can well, we do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the money thing. All right. If it's two friends that are flying to, to lunch and they want to split safety pilot duties and whatever, then, uh, you know, splitting the cost is, is, is you know, Fine, they're you know pro rata share uh, just as normal uh, private pilots can do, right? Um, 
But I've also sometimes read the question, you know, as to, you know, here I am an instrument pilot and I need a safety pilot and, and the safety pilot is going to be logging at a time. So should I expect money from him? <laughs> should I charge him to be a safety pilot? And then the other question, should I pay him to be the safety pilot? Well, that, you know, that, that's less, really less of a, uh, FAA regulation issue, but more to me, more of a, uh, interpersonal issue. You know, if I'm needing the safety pilot, you know, I'm going to, I'm not only not going to expect them to cough up any money for gas, I'm probably going to buy them lunch when we get there. You know, I mean, I'm the one who needs his services such as it is. So, so the other questions, you know, along that, that line of thinking to me seem kind of silly in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. what the other, what the other hosts think here. Yeah, that's fine. <clears throat> I was just thinking you're getting compensated for that flight, right? And uh, so do you need a commercial license to be compensated? If you're uh, being compensated for the whole thing, yeah, you might be, uh, it might be kind of interesting a situation there. Uh, but, uh, you know, what is the pro rata share of it too? I mean, how do you determine that? Um, so I don't know. I, it, Larry, I know you do a lot of, uh, flying and, and you mentioned the safety pile thing. How do you actually split up your time and, and pay for that flight? So any, any time I've either been a safety pilot or had a safety pilot come along, um, the person who was, um, uh, I'll say in the left seat, you know, not the safety pilot, uh, the one who needed the safety pilot, if you will, um, always picks up all the expenses for the flight. And if it's an out and back and you trade around and I'm your safety pilot and then you're mine, you know, we just look at the Hobbs, write it down. You pick up the leg that you flew. I pick up the leg that I flew and we don't mix it up. And that's just you know, one of many ways you can do it. There's nothing right or wrong about it. Um, but, uh, you know, that way, you know, this is your flight. It's your takeoff. It's your landing. It's your approach. It's your screw up and have to do a uh, uh, missed approach um, or it's mine. You know, either way, and um, you pay for yours, I pay for mine, I come along for you, you come along for me, and, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe uh, one of us buys lunch or, or something like that, but uh, try to try to just keep it simple. I, you know, Larry, that's a good idea. I mean, that's, uh, that's what we do with the airlines, right? I mean, it's your leg or my leg, we never change in between. It's very rare. Actually, there is a instance I know, there's probably airline pilots listening, yes, that there are certain landings that only the captain can do, so you do have to switch who's pilot and commander or who's actually flying, but in general, you always are doing, you know, you say, okay, this is your leg. And this is your takeoff, this is your landing, and I love that, because then you record the Hobbs time, say you don't have to shut off the engine, record the Hobbs time. Okay, it's your plane, now you go fly. Sometimes you get out, you have lunch, and now it's your turn. So keep it simple. I like that, Larry. Great, great advice there. Um, but uh, anyway, gosh, this is a lot of information here, um, and, and a lot of really complex information, a lot of opinions that were sh- uh, for sure online, and, and lots of good articles out there. Uh, but we've kind of touched the you know basics of this person's question but uh i want to know is there anything else that people want to add i know uh this was a, a by the way great questions and thank you so much for writing in uh you can go to stuckmygavcast.com click on contact and uh we'd love to hear your feedback on this but i was wondering is there anything else from from our co-hosts that we'd like to add to this i mean this uh as far as being a safety pie we went over the basics it's uh, and sounds to me that the conversation before the flight 
has really become uh, one of the most important things. You know, are we, first of all, are we legal to do this and how are we going to be safe and what is our expectations and all that happening prior to the flight, like Larry said, keep it simple. Let's just go ahead and do one leg. Uh, I'll do this leg. You do that leg. Uh, I think that's, that's really, really cool. And uh, so it's really one of those things that, I find is easy if you grab a flight instructor. It gets more difficult when you grab a safety pilot because of the fact that, uh, you know, they're not in that scenario very often. Uh, some are. I, I, I won't say no on that one because there are uh, guys that go out, and I see it in a lot of times in flying clubs where they do a lot of safety pilot work, and that's terrific. Love to see that, and I love to see more people share the flight time and get some advice from some really experienced pilots. Going back to what I said before, there's some incredibly experienced private pilots out there that you can learn a lot from. Uh, so just remember that you might want to grab one and, and have them take you up uh, and fly you around. And, hey, I, I do it. You know, I'm, There's a lot of airplanes. I you know have a few thousand hours more than some of the folks I go up with. But, hey, I don't have experience in that airplane. And I was like, hey, can you show me how to fly this? And uh, can you give me a little bit of knowledge on, say, this one type of approach? I haven't shot this type of approach in a long time. Uh, let's just go over it and do the LPV approach because I haven't seen this in a while. And that's, and you take them along as a safety pod. Say, hey, listen, can you, you know, act, go? Uh, I'm going to be under the hood, uh, so let's let's uh, fly this procedure. Or another thing too, and I, I kind of wish I mentioned this earlier. Is one other thing uh, with the safety pod, you don't have to be under the hood. Uh, you really should, if you want to just fly the procedure, or say to the person, listen, I'm not going to put my hood on. I'm just going to do this. Uh, and be focused inside the cockpit, but you still are acting as my safety pilot. You make sure that you look for traffic. Even though I don't have the hood on, I just want to may have all the situational awareness. The next approach I'm going to do, then I'll throw the hood on, that type of thing. And it's going to be obvious that I'm not looking outside. Again, it comes back to that communication saying that, yes, I am looking inside the aircraft. I'm not looking outside, even though I don't have the foggles on. But uh, anyway, I think this has been a great discussion, guys. And, uh, you know, it really is something that, I think is important for people to to do is grab a safety pilot and go fly if you want to get current, if you want to go over certain things in your aircraft, but you want to do it in the air. There's certain, uh, you know, anything, any mechanism, any type of uh, device that you have in your aircraft that you want to try. Grab a safety pilot. It's the first time using, say, an iPad. Grab a safety pilot so that you can actually focus on that and not focus on something else and keep yourself safe. So that's that's really the most important. Great discussion. And, boy, I tell you, we, we uh, are coming to the end of the podcast here. So I guess this is uh, – we'll close it there. We, please send us feedback, uh, aviation – excuse me, at stuckmygafcast.com, uh, and you can hit the contact uh, portion of that. Our picks of the week. So this comes up to our after landing checklist and our picks of the week, our picks of the week. And uh, I know Rick, he, uh, we haven't heard a lot from you on this one. Uh, <laughs> and, and we should have asked you more if you've acted as a safety pilot, but uh, I think uh, I, I wasn't sure if we, we really didn't include you in that portion. No, that's have, okay. you, have you done? Yeah. I was wondering, yeah, no, have you I done did, the safety pilot? I actually did for a friend. Um, oh, okay. And it was someone I trusted and I'd flown with. And I, you know, so I loved your, I mean, your story was intense, but I, I, you know, it was, it was a reminder that, yeah, in my situation, it was very comfortable and there were, there were things explained and discussed. And I trusted that he could help me be a good safety pilot by telling me what he needed me to do. And, uh, and it worked out great. 
Cool. So. Awesome. So what is, uh, what yeah. is your pick of the yeah, week? Yeah, so my, I'll do it quick. My pick is, is kind of a silly thing, which I don't know if, if everyone's heard about. but uh, And I'm normally the iOS uh, guy, but uh, this is now available uh, just in the last month on Android as well. It's a, we- a fun little silly weather app called Carrot Weather. And I don't know if you guys have Carrot Weather, if you've heard about it, but it's basically kind of a snarky weather app that you can set the level of snarkiness in terms of how it reports the weather to you, both verbally as well as in text. And the extreme, <laughs> the extreme, uh, the extreme setting actually gets has has some words in it that are not for polite company but um huh. but it also has a uh, uh, augmented reality so if you have the right kind of gear the right phone you can put a uh, 3d inter- interactive projection of the weather data in the room you're in and that's pretty cool for people that like to play with that stuff and uh, also um uh, uh if you are in the ios uh, world uh, an apple watch uh, app that works great that is really really great so um you know it's it's a it's it's got its silly moments but it's a great weather app it's called carrot weather and it's now on both platforms carrot Rick, is weather. that the one that carrot. that um says stuff like what are you doing inside checking the weather it's beautiful out there yeah. get outside and that yeah. kind of thing yeah 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 okay uh, yeah. Or, or worse <laughs> Um, or worse, yes, yes. Um, I, I should probably <laughs> open it. Although, promise, I, I recently changed it to the most extreme setting, and I may not be able to read what it says. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Not. I can't read what it says. Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't even know how far to go with abbreviating it. I suppose I could bleep myself. Yeah, bleep. bleep, bleep. I, I'll do the bleep. It's <laughs> so I'll say it, but I gotta trust that I'm gonna fix this, right? <laughs> So right now I just looked at it and it it just said to me it's partly. <laughs> now that's the most extreme, um, and and I'll bleep that. <laughs> and, and bleep bleep that. Yeah. <laughs> so but but you can back it off and you and you can also enter your political persuasion so it can have some politics that would be appealing to you. You know those kind of it's 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 a fun thing, but it is also visually nice. Great depth, great you know all all the great stuff, and then it has this extra sort of AR mode. It also has a really cool time time machine mode where you can just for the location you're at set a date in, back in time, and it'll tell you what the weather was. So <laughs> so I like it a lot. Um, and oh, very uh, cool. Anyway, carrot weather. I do not know why it's called that, um, and I got to get my my little bleeping horn ready for editing. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thanks for that one. Yeah. I, I I love any kind of weather apps. That's uh, you know, as pilots, we love love yeah, weather yeah. apps. Uh, but anyway, Russ, what is your pick of the week? Oh, so my pick of the week is a book uh, that I read recently. It's called The Denang Diary. It's a forward air controller's gunsight view of flying with SOG. And uh, SOG, of course, is an acronym that I temporarily have forgotten <laughs> uh, what it means. But it was a uh, it was a it was a book written about uh, one pilot's experience as a forward air controller directing uh, uh, ground attacks and such during Vietnam, of course. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually not really big on military history type books. I know a lot of people are. Uh, maybe because I was in the military, I had enough of it. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm not really big on that. But, but this one was really, really interesting uh, from a, a flying perspective, you know, just you know, flying the the OV-10 Bronco at low altitudes and some of the problems that they face and the missions they had. Uh, it, it was it was really a great read. Uh, just, you know, if you just like you know, flying in different types of aircraft or flying in, you know, very unusual environments or if you are big on uh, on military history and, and Vietnam specifically, this would, this would be a good read. So, again, it's called The Da Nang Diary. And, uh, you know, it's on, you know, everywhere, Amazon and your library and everywhere else. 
Awesome. Great. Well, I appreciate that. The Nang Diary. I love history, so I'm just definitely going to check that one out. Uh, let's see. Our next pick of the week comes from Larry. What is uh, your pick of the week? Hey, um, well, as as some of you know, um, all the all the folks here co-hosts, but also uh, many of the listeners, um, my wife and I have had a uh, kind of a lifelong uh, goal of becoming full-time RVers. And two weeks ago, we pulled the trigger, sold our house, moved into our RV, and uh, are just beginning to travel around the country and hopefully see some really cool things. Um, among those travels, or along the way with those travels, um, we want to explore some aviation sites that um, we haven't seen yet. Uh, and our first one here is the Bong Recreational Area, uh, named for Richard Bong. It's here in the Milwaukee area, so it was a close, easy one for us to do. Um, but Richard Bong was a, a World War II ace, um, became the, um, uh, I think, the ace that had the most kills of anyone in the entire, you know, Army, Air Force, and Air Force history, um, and uh, flew P-38s and um, other aircraft uh, during the war, and then later on um, became a test pilot and regrettably was killed uh, while he was testing a P-80A um, aircraft um, in, just after the war, I think it was like 1945 or so. But this uh, Bong Recreational Area, named for him in the Milwaukee area, is a uh, part of the state park, the Wisconsin State Park System. And um, it, it was going to be a military base. And if you walk around the park, you can see exactly where this 12,000-foot runway was going to be. Um, and, you know, it was one of those cases where they were going to pour concrete and then the war ended. Um, and so... Uh, it never became that military base, but they, they turned it into a recreational area. And in addition to having a lot of information about uh, Richard Bong and, and his service to the country and his accomplishments, um, now there's all kinds of other things going on here in addition to camping, which is what we're doing, um, rocketry, swimming, dog sledding, uh, falconry, um, uh, horseback riding, hunting, fishing, you name it, ultralight aviation, Um there are uh, all kinds of things to do. It's a, it's a large park, and um, I think it's like 4,500 acres, uh, and really a fun place to explore, both for the aviation part of it and also for just the, you know, the, the wildlife uh, part of it and, and the other activities that you can do here. So learn a little bit about Richard Bong, and if you're needing a place to camp in the Milwaukee area, uh, Bong Recreational Area, I highly recommend it. Cool, I appreciate that. They uh, that's that shooting star, the P eighty, wasn't it, uh, or what they call it? Yeah, shooting star. Yeah, I think that's actually on the campus over in Lakeland. I think I just drove by it today, so that's oh, uh, okay. interesting. Yeah, the 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 Bong Recreational Area. I, I kind of thought of something else when you said that. Actually, my mind went somewhere else, but uh, you uh, know they. If you if you read the Wikipedia entry, they do have a problem with people stealing the signs. Ah. Gotcha. I don't know why, <laughs> but it seems to be a thing. Oh, interesting, interesting. But uh, and by the way, congratulations on that and uh, your travels to all these really interesting aviation venues. I, we're going to hear so much more, and I can't wait. So that's really cool. Uh, let's see, pick of the week, Tom. What is your pick of the week? Yeah, so I'm you know kind of always in teaching mode, and and it occurred to me. I wanted to put in the the Flight Plan Go app. Now, flightplan.com is is a huge um, website, and lots of people use it to file their flight plans, and it's full of all sorts of resources and 
Um, really easy to use um, for, for those that are familiar. But the Flight Plane Go app is one of those things that, um, you know, I, I sometimes recommend it to students who are kind of on the fence about what kind of uh, EFB they want to use. And this is something that's free that they can kind of play around with and see what some of the features are that they would get in there. And um, it's actually, it's more robust even beyond that, you know. So um, if, if you haven't played with this thing, um, try it out sometime. It, it, it's really kind of a cool app. You know, I mean, I use ForeFlight a lot. And, and that's what I use at work and, and in some of the charter stuff that I do. And, uh, but, but this particular app for a free app is, is, uh, is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, for, for GA pilots, uh, who were getting into this and trying to figure the way through it, it, it's a cool place to start. So I'll throw that out there. Oh, awesome. I appreciate that. And uh, let's see who else. That would be me for a pick of the week. Uh, I actually was going to do one, but I I changed mine to uh, something that's uh, related to uh, something in the news recently outside of aviation and football. And how does football con- convey to the aviation? Well, there's a place called the Central Florida Aerospace Academy. It's right on the campus at uh, Sun and Fun. And this is an amazing academy. Uh, you know, we talk about trying to get different people from different backgrounds into aviation. Uh, has over 50% uh, at the time. I don't know if right now, but this is about a year ago, of the students were females, trying to get females into aviation, obviously, in aerospace. Uh, one, this was set up by the James C. Ray uh, Foundation, and the funding there comes from that. But the reason it has to do with football is recently a local graduate, and this is from this is through the Kathleen High School system, a recent or a graduate, I should say, of Kathleen High School, went on to uh, do something really amazing in football. That was uh, Ray Lewis and uh, played uh, with the Baltimore Ravens and uh, hats off to him. And uh, he came from Kathleen High School and uh He's uh, just an amazing uh, Hall of Fame individual, just uh, an amazing uh, athlete. Uh, but his coming from that that area very it was a very challenged area, and making it all the way through was very inspiring for me to look at, uh, you know, the local area and what they're doing here at the Central Florida Aerospace Academy, and uh, an inspiration from him, but also an inspiration to all these uh, different students and instructors that work at CFAA to move people forward uh, that have may never have gotten this opportunity, and through the foundation, through the funds, through the scholarships, uh, they have been able to come out of a, a very challenged area and uh, move forward to a career in aerospace and aviation and uh, have a life that they never dreamed of. And I think it's really cool to watch these young people move forward. Really cool. They can actually dual enroll into certain schools, especially at Polk State College, and they uh, can get some of their uh, classes done. Uh, may even come in as a sophomore. So neat, neat place. Check, check it out, the uh, flycfaa.com. And that's over there from the campus over at the uh, – Sun and Fun Campus, and that's why I mentioned it too. It had the the shooting star there that's on the front of the campus. Really cool, really awesome looking. Well, I guess that's it for us. Um, we really appreciate the comments and suggestions, especially emails like this. 
hats off to uh, Aggie Mike. I guess we'll call him Aggie Mike eighty eight. Uh, just really appreciate the fact that people listen and and really challenge us with these questions. And if you have questions like this, uh, don't forget to ask. Also, another thing too, don't don't forget to talk to your flight instructor about these issues and say, hey, listen, I heard this on uh, Stuck Mike Avcast, and I really want to discuss it with you. And I I wonder what your feelings are. And it's good. It's challenging for us as flight instructors, and it's uh, it's also challenging, you know, for everybody all the safety pilots out there and grab somebody and say hey i want to be your safety pilot uh or i want you to be my safety pilot and let's go do some approaches and uh let's go have some fun in the airplane but of course the most important thing is to to really be safe out there and constantly be learning so that we can continue to have this great love for aviation continue well folks we'll talk to you next episode and safe flying You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.